If you have not already, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing in our series of messages from the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And we're going through the Beatitudes. Jesus gathered together his disciples and was preaching to them. And he began with a series of blesseds. I'll be beginning in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And the focus of our message today is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I had a description on the screen, but I don't know if we have it here yet. But just imagine that on the screen you have a series of blesseds. You'll notice when you read the Beatitudes that the first blessed and the last blessed have the same connotation or the same aspect that ends the Beatitude. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you read verse 10, the last beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. What does it say? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first beatitude and the last beatitude have the same blessing indicating that it doesn't matter if you're at the beginning of the Christian experience or at the end of the Christian experience, the promise is the same. Scholars believe that the Beatitudes are a progression in the Christian experience. You go from one level of grace to another level of grace. You're saved all along the way, but the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life and brings you through the progression. And I praise God that you are just as saved in the moment that you accept Jesus as if you have been saved a Christian for 20 or 30 years and later in the Christian experience. Amen? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven as well. There's another way of looking at these Beatitudes. It can be also seen in two sets of four as well. The first set of four ends with a blessing for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The second set of four is a blessing for those who are persecuted for righteousness as well. So the first set of four goes from a state of emptiness to filling with righteousness. The second set, God begins to give you aspects of his character and righteousness and you are overflowing with righteousness and you come to the place where you are persecuted for righteousness sake and I'm looking forward to actually discussing that one future in our series because I can't think of being persecuted as being a state of happiness can you this is a strange saying but for today's focus, we'll be looking at the blessing of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake. Jesus, in this beatitude, is using a universal 
analogy that we can all relate to of physical hunger and thirst. He's not talking about the physical aspect of our human nature. Rather, he's talking about a spiritual longing that is universal to all of us. It is universal to all human beings, and it's an inner longing, an inner ache of loneliness that we all experience. I don't know if you noticed this past week, the iPhone 7 was announced. I unfortunately watched a clip of the announcement. And there's something about these promotionals. Because after I watched all the bells and whistles of the iPhone 7 and the iPhone 7S, I went to use my phone afterwards. And suddenly the luster of my phone just immediately vanished. Uh, it, it's just amazing the way capitalism works. I mean, this, my phone, when it came out at the time, it's an iPhone 5, it's, it's antiquated, about to break, but I'm so cheap, I don't want to get rid of it. But when it came out, it was the latest and the greatest thing. But suddenly, when Apple unveils the iPhone 7, which is waterproof, which doesn't have a headphone jack. All of these attributes just seem to elevate it to a certain state, and I found myself craving a new phone. It was fascinating because I read an article in the New York Times about happiness and desire and materialism, and the heading was, Do We Really Need It? And the correlation with happiness, I also read an article in Psychology Today called The Hedonic Treadmill. And this is a fascinating article. I want to quote to you a few excerpts from this article. It says, even if we spent our whole lives pursuing something, once we've got it, we start adapting to it. Soon it becomes normal. Once it's normal, it can start to get boring. It doesn't matter that we've worked for it for decades to get there. We've got it now, so it's not exciting anymore. Have you ever experienced that before? It's like we're just grown-up children to a certain degree, except our toys are becoming more and more expensive, and we want this thing, and the thing that capitalism does is that it is actually selling an element of happiness. You buy this phone, and it'll bring you joy. You buy this product, and there's a certain fulfillment that will come, but it doesn't seem to last. And this is what psychology today was saying. The shiny new toy loses its luster once we have it. We get used to it. That dream home. We get used to the hot tub, the view, the skylights, the inner elation of happiness that it once brought, wears away. All of us have experienced this, yes? No matter what it makes, no matter what it is that makes you happy, you can get bored of it after a while. That is because of a concept known as hedonic adaptations. Simply put, there is no one thing that will make you happy forever. Eventually, you get used to it and need something different. We all 
have experienced this before. We get something, whether it be a material belonging, a new house, a new car, it all wears away after a while. The theologian John Piper put it this way, and everything turns to ashes in your hands. The thrill of lust leaves the sediment of guilt and loneliness. The drugs and alcohol can't keep you from waking up in the real world again and again with your messed up relationships. The tan looks so artificial and fades so quickly and the new toy is so boring in just a few weeks. All of us have experienced this inner existential ache of loneliness. And it seems like the more we try to fill it, the emptier and the emptier we get. Isn't that right? And it seems as if the world is after this intangible fulfillment that we just can't get our fingers around. Deion Sanders wrote in his autobiography about this very same experience. Uh, For those of you that don't know who Deion Sanders is, he's a Hall of Fame football player. Quite remarkable because he could play both offense and defense. And he dabbled a little bit in Major League Baseball. I mean, he was at the top of his game. And I want you to notice the nature of the experience that Deion Sanders went through. And I quote, I remember winning the Super Bowl that year, and that night after the game, I was the first one out of the locker room. The first one to go to the press conference and the first one to go home. That was the same week I bought myself a new $275,000 Lamborghini, and I haven't even driven it a mile before I realized No, that's not it. That's not what I'm looking for. It's got to be something else. I'm so hungry. I tried everything. Parties, women, buying expensive jewelry and gadgets, and nothing helped. There was no peace. I mean, I was playing great. I got all this media attention and everything the world has to offer, but no peace, no joy, just emptiness inside. I tried to buy myself something to make me happy. And I was even emptier than before because I could see that nothing could possibly satisfy the longing, the hunger that was deep down inside me. I tried throwing myself into my career, into sports, trying to see how far I could go. And when I achieved every goal I could think of, I was right back where I started. Empty, empty, empty and nothing I could touch that deep lonely nothing I did could touch that deep loneliness inside of me I was just running I couldn't stop this is a man that was at the pinnacle of his career he had it all the envy of the sports world and he said I was just coming empty every single time. The existential void that we all experience. And the irony is, 
most of the world wants to be Deion Sanders. Most of the world wants what he has. And yet he says, I'm coming up empty. And I think of this quote from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's mind. The Bible tells us that God has put eternity into our hearts. There's something in human nature that we are grasping for, desiring for something more than this finite world can offer. And C.S. Lewis put it this way, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. C.S. Lewis, in the previous paragraph, says, Look, if I'm hungry, there is food to fill that need. If I'm thirsty, there is water. He says, For almost every human desire... There is something to fill that need, but he says that there's something more. There's a real void in our hearts, and it seems that nothing in this world can fill it. It really points to an aspect of the divine. And Blaise Pascal, the mathematician, wrote in his monumental work called Pensies, and he says, What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help him, since this infinite abyss can be filled with only an infinite and immutable object In other words, by God himself. Ravi Zacharias says, The older you get, the more it takes to fill your heart with wonder. When I did youth ministry in Berrien Springs, every Tuesday, all the pastors would go into the different classrooms and we would take them by divisions lower grades, middle grades, upper grades. I love the lower grades. Because you could go in there and I would bring a rock out of my bag and they were, wow! It was the greatest thing because I would go in there and tell the most boring story and these kids would be amazed. But I found something as I went to the older grades specifically the 8th and ninth graders, that it seemed that the wonder had worn off. They had become jaded. And Ravi Zacharias says, the older we get, the harder it is to fill the heart with wonder. And when we become adults, it takes a lot for us to say, wow. And Ravi Zacharias says, And only God is big enough to do that. God alone is the perpetual novelty. I believe that throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity, every morning in eternity will be a wow moment. Amen? 
the novelty will never wear away. Augustine said, Thou madest thyself for us, or thou madest us for thyself, I should say, and our heart is restless until it rests in thee. We were made for God. And there's a God-shaped hole in our hearts that only He can fill. Steps of Christ put it this way, the same divine mind that is working upon the things of nature is speaking to the hearts of men and creating, listen to the language here, an inexpressible craving for something they have not. You who in heart long for something better than this world can give, recognize this longing as the voice of God to your soul. I can think of times in my Christian experience, I should say prior to my Christian experience, when I would come home and lay in my bed, living apart from Christ, and I would have just come back from what would have been from all worldly accounts, a wonderful time. But I would lay in my bed and there was this inner void, this emptiness inside that I just would not be able to fill. I believe that that void is a God-shaped hole that only He can fill. Amen? And we are here today because we believe that Jesus is indeed, as Haggai said, the desire of the nations. He is the fulfillment that we are all looking for. He is the one that can truly fill our needs. When we go back to this beatitude, it says, Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for they shall be filled. The Bible tells us that not only does that universal desire for God come from Him, but also He transforms our tastes and our desires so that we long for righteousness. We long to be like Jesus. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. As we discern the perfection of our Savior's character, we shall desire to become wholly transformed and renewed in the image of His purity. The more we know of God, the higher will be our ideal of character, and the more earnest our longing to reflect His likeness. She goes on by saying, the longing in one's heart for righteousness is evidence that Christ has already begun His work there. I tell individuals when I'm studying the Bible with them, and they might be struggling in their Christian experience, And I say, look, the very fact that you're here wanting to study the Bible is evidence that God is working. Amen? The very fact that anyone desires to come to Jesus is evidence that the Holy Spirit has been working. When God gets you up in the morning and says you should go to church, that's evidence that the Holy Spirit is working. Every spiritual desire is evidence that God is working in our lives. Now, I want to spend a little bit 
of time on this notion of spiritual desire because it is universal. All of us have it. But I believe this is an aspect that many times is missed, especially for those that have accepted Jesus and are in a loving relationship with Him. Um, Paul, after his conversion and well into his ministry, says these words, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, he says, But I keep under my body and bring it into what? Bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Here's Paul, converted, working for the Lord, and yet he says he keeps his body under subjection. What does that mean? In a previous account in Romans, he says that our spiritual nature and our flesh are at war and odds with one another. And here Paul gives some advice from his own example indicating that the Christian is to play a role that I believe feeds into elevating our spiritual desire. And it is this. I believe that God calls us to feed the Spirit and starve the flesh. Amen? These two are going to stay with us, I would say, till Jesus comes. I wish at conversion we didn't have to deal with the sinful nature anymore. Wouldn't that be nice? Get baptized, you wake up the next morning, no more sinful nature. But the reality is the sinful nature is still there. The difference is now we have the ability to choose to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And I believe that as a Christian, we have a moral responsibility to partner with God by placing a check and balance around our flesh, our sinful desires. There needs to be a boundary around our sinful desires. Now, I went to a a small college on the East Coast, and it is in the hills of the East Coast, and on the road to to the school, there is these hills, and when you crest at the top of the hills... Um, essentially, you don't know if a car is coming until you reach the very crest. For a long time, there were no yellow lines on that road until that fateful morning, as chance would have it, two cars were speeding along and they met at the top of one of these crests of the hills. And it was a tragic accident. There was a child involved that was thrown out of the vehicle died instantly. Needless to say, the county, a few months later, guess what they did? They put a couple yellow lines through the middle of that road. And I believe that standards is something that is many times misunderstood in especially the Christian experience. Um, Standards have been abused. Standards have been used as a hammer to beat many times our young people into a certain box or a certain role. But when we look at standards from a true biblical standpoint, I believe that standards can be viewed as those yellow lines. They provide a, a boundary. Boundaries are a good thing, yes? 
Not a bad thing. And especially when it comes to our Christian experience, I believe that we as Christians need to set up personalized boundaries that tell us that once we get into a certain zone, a certain area, we are in a dangerous zone. I went to Niagara Falls not too long ago, and we could get to a certain place where the falls were going right over, and I praise God for that boundary that was there. Boundaries are a good thing. It tells us when we are in a zone of danger, and if there's an area in our lives that we are struggling with, we need to set up some boundaries that indicate that if you get too close, we're going to go off the edge. And many times in our Christian experience, what we do is this. Look, I'm going to get as close to the edge as possible. I'm going to dangle my feet over. And if you're having a challenge, for instance, with the Internet or with pornography, or with an issue. We need to set up certain boundaries that indicate that we are in a dangerous zone. We need to say, look, I'm not going to be on the computer during certain hours. If you have a struggle with chocolate, you need to say, look, I'm not going to walk by the certain chocolate aisle at the supermarket. We need to, we need to set up these things. Now, that is not, that is not legalism. It is indicating that, look, this is a zone that we need to be careful in because we need to, as Paul said, place a check and balance around our flesh. And some Christians are struggling along, and you ask them sometimes, look, what does your week look like? What have you been consuming? And they say, look, I watched this movie, this movie, this movie, and, I, and I'm eating this type of food. And when you look at it, they've been feeding their flesh all week to the place that it has just developed an incredible appetite, and the spiritual nature has been starving. The work of grace is that the Lord empties us of self and of selfishness so that our spiritual appetites can be enhanced by the grace of God. We accept Jesus we walk with Him, and by the grace of God, He enables us to set up boundaries so that we can know when we're in a dangerous area in our Christian experience. We need to feed the Spirit and starve the flesh. Have you ever tried to drink water after you've drank a soda pop? It's, it's amazing what our taste buds can do. I, I remember one time I ate cheesecake, and then afterwards my wife was like, hey, try these oranges, they're wonderful. And they tasted terrible. And you, believe it or not, something as essential for life, something as fundamental as water that is necessary for our existence, we can have a distaste for if we are consuming junk. I know a relative that will go unnamed consumes a lot of these types of substances and they say, look, I just can't drink water. It just won't go down. It tastes funny. And friends, what the devil wants to do with our spiritual nature is that he feeds us a diet of the world 
so that we lose our appetite for spiritual things. I like the way John Corson put it in his commentary. Some people have lost their appetite for the Word of God. They no longer desire to worship. They no longer crave rightness because they are full of the burgers and shakes of self-importance. I like that. When you empty yourself of self, happy are you because you're going to hunger once more for righteousness. Praise God. And that's the progression of the Beatitudes. He takes you, empties you of the junk in your life, and you desire righteousness. I like the way John Stott put it. There is perhaps no greater secret of progress in Christian living than a healthy, hearty, spiritual appetite. How's your spiritual appetite today? I pray by the grace of God that each one of us will partner with Jesus every single day and say, Lord, help my spiritual appetite. Help me to desire you like I thirst for water and hunger for food. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for grace. We thank you that we can come to you just the way that we are. Broken, jaded, in need of restoration. And you take us, Lord, and you recreate in us a clean heart. You renew a right spirit within us. You change our appetite. You restore our taste buds. We thank you that you bring us to the place where the plea of our hearts is, Lord, give me Jesus. Make me more like Jesus. We pray today that every person here would heed your voice, would heed your spirit, and that you would renew us each and every day. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.